them and um, came and visited us out when we were in Montana and Tori's been here for meetings and has traveled in evangelism and has pastored and um, he'll give you an update on, on how God is leading now. But um, I have always appreciated Tori's um, hunger for God and his desire to know God and and then just his, his love for life, too. He enjoys life, and um, we're, we heard he was coming through, and I thought, great, a great opportunity for uh, God to minister to us through his life. So welcome back to Sheraton. God bless you. Thank you very much. Well, it's been three and a half years since I've been back in the beautiful state of Iowa, and uh, we are uh, making our way on a college trip, actually, up to Northland. Uh, my daughter, Victoria, is actually of college age, which I, I don't know how that's possible. Um, I guess I was married when I was 13. But, um, in fact, I'll introduce my family. Victoria, would you stand right here? She'll thank me later for having to do that. Isaac is uh, Victoria's a, a senior in high school. Isaac, go ahead and stand. He's a freshman in high school. And my wife, Jeline, is with me. And um, we are on our way up to Northland. And as we were coming through, I said, boy, I just wanted to stop. And I wanted to see the St. Lawrence's, and I wanted to see all of you. Always have enjoyed um, every opportunity to be with you here at, uh, at Sheraton. And uh, also thought I would take, a, since Pastor asked me to open up God's Word, I thought I'd take just a, about five minutes beforehand to share a little bit about what's going on. Uh, last time that uh, we were here, we, were, we had been in evangelism for a number of years, and actually about nine years and um, the Lord had opened up an opportunity to be involved in, in a ministry in South Africa. And I know I had shared that with you all. And uh, that ministry continues on. Uh, there, was a, uh, there was a decision of leadership, and they had a couple of directions to go. And, uh, and they had to make a hard choice. And, and in that hard choice, they decided to go a different direction. So um, I, I didn't necessarily fit with that, with that particular game plan that they had. And that's totally fine. Uh, that is, uh, that's the way the Lord often works. And uh, we had been in evangelism for five summers, had been preaching all summer at a camp in Southern California, in the high desert of Southern California. If you've ever been to California and you've been to Barstow, anybody know where Barstow is? Some of you know where Barstow is, okay? Beautiful, scenic Barstow. I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. If you've been there, you know that I'm saying it tongue-in-cheek. If you were to come back, and go 30 miles to the east of Barstow. And you say, wait a second, there's nothing out there. That would be accurate. I'm out there. That's all that's out there. Um, there is a Christian camp, the camp that, uh, that runs year-round. We have 45 weeks of camp. And uh, it was our privilege as a family to preach there all summer long for five summers. There, there are three camps that operate at Ironwood. That's the name of the camp. Uh, there are three different camps that run simultaneously there, and I would preach all summer for one of those camps. But because they operate year-round, and, um, and there is a danger that comes with ministry. That, there are 38 full-time staff members at, at Ironwood, and there's a danger of becoming professional ministers. So we have people who build, and we have people who plumb, and we have people who do electrical, and we have people who run program, and we have people who type letters, and we have people who keep our website up, 
And they do all of that. And they do it all for a ministry. But it's very easy for it to stop being a ministry and you're just it's just your job. And that's a really dangerous point to be in as a servant of God because now, now the heart has been removed from, from what's going on. So the director of the camp, years ago, realized that what his staff needed was they needed to be able to minister in people's lives beyond just the one-week time frame. They needed to be able to be investing in lives with a long-term relationship. So after much prayer and some trial and error, God lets you do trial and error in life, doesn't He? You try that and, oops, that didn't work, so we'll go a different direction. God lets us do that. And uh, as there was this, uh, this burden on his heart, what he did was he realized they needed to have internship programs. So they started two different internship programs. One internship program is for college-age students. It's for, for 18 to 23-year-olds who want to do what's right. We don't want anybody in there that's running from God. We want young people who know what to do what's right, want to do what's right. But oftentimes at 18 years of age, you've got a senior in high school that's saying, I'm not completely sure what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not, I'm not completely sure how all of this is supposed to work out in my life. I'm not exactly sure how I should respond to this. I don't really know what's going on. And, and, and so they, what we do is they come and they join us there at camp for a nine months, three-year rotation that they can be there for nine months. We basically just teach them a biblical worldview. But you can't really learn that just in the classroom. It's best learned in the process of life. So they get involved in the ministry of the camp. They get to serve campers. They get to invest in lives. And at the same time, they're beginning to, the way we put it, they get a chart, a course for a life of ministry. That's one of the internships that is there. And there's a second internship that is for college graduates who say, I would love to go into camp ministry, but I don't really know I, I went to Bible college, but they didn't know camp ministry either. I, I finally need to learn camp ministry, and, and it's called Ministry Bound. And they come for two years, and uh, we work with them and help them develop a philosophy of ministry and understand every aspect of camp, from program and activity and preaching to dishwashing. I mean, the whole spectrum. And uh, those, those two programs are my ballywick. They are my responsibility. They are, I run those, those two programs, which is a lot of fun. Because I get to help young, uh, young adults from 18 to up about 25 years of age really sort through some of the key, key things in life. And, and uh, just, I thoroughly enjoy it. During the summertime as we have our peak season, then my responsibility, I get to preach at camp. And then I also, I help set up youth pastors and pastors. We don't want to disengage the local church at camp. The local church is what God has ordained. We want to engage the local church at camp, and that's my job. My job is to help involve the pastor in the lives of their young people because often they get to spend more time with their young people in a week of camp than they have in the past four months. And their young people are making decisions that they're going to deal with when they get home, and there, there needs to be a lot of proactive coordination that goes on in order to help that pastor benefit from camp. We want him to go home and want to help him. And, and a lot of pastors, to be really honest, they come to camp and they're discouraged, they're frustrated, and I get to, I get to pastor pastors. So um, I, have, I have that. That's my camp hat. I wear multiple hats. That's why I'm bald. I have, um, 
I have, that's what I do at Ironwood. And then I also uh, pastor part-time a church there in Newberry Springs, California. And, um, and I, I just really enjoy, um, you know, just share something from my heart. You, most of you know me, and you, you've seen me go through a lot of different bends in the road. And uh, I can just share this with you. You know, I've enjoyed evangelism, and I still enjoy going and preaching at other camps and other churches. I enjoy doing that. But I enjoy investing in lives in a long-term sort of a situation. And uh, it's fun to, to see, uh, to see uh, folks grow in their walk with the Lord. That's kind of what's going on in our lives. Uh, there's a Christian school there, and uh, Victoria and Isaac uh, terrorized that Christian school. And uh, Jeline is involved in the registration at, uh, at, at camp there and then writes all of my messages. So I value... I <clears throat> That's not completely true. And... Uh, <laughs> So we, we just enjoy the place that God, that God has put us. So uh, keep us in prayer. Uh, my wife actually has some cards, and you can take those and, and keep us in prayer. But that's a little bit about where, where we are. Change. Change is not always fun. Interruption. Do you, you know what the word interrupt means? It's two different words. Enter to get in the middle of something. And then the rupture, it comes from, interruption comes from the root word rupture. And it means to jump into the middle of something and to rupture it. <laughs> uh, boy, story's there. <laughs> Have you ever, do you like being interrupted? Have you ever, when your kids were young, and if you have young kids, you can relate to this. And those of you that have kids coming, you can look forward to this. I don't know if any of you have ever had the experience to be sound asleep in the middle of the evening, and, and then you just have this weird sense that somebody's looking at you. I don't know if any of you had that. I mean, it's the middle of the night. All of a sudden, there's like, there's a presence in the room. <laughs> and you open your eyes, and you look, and there's one of your children looking at you. And, and, you, and you're like, yes, can I help you? I need a drink. <laughs> Go ahead. LAUGHTER in, interruptions are something that generally we don't always value. Uh, I, yesterday, coming in, I was looking forward to the, to the Iowa-Penn State game because I, I just don't get to see the Hawkeyes much anymore. And, uh, and so last night, uh, enjoyed coming back and uh, listening on WHO radio and uh, listening to the football game. It was fun. Enjoyed it. If you ever said to yourself, okay, Saturday evening, the game is on, and you get yourself set up for that game that you've been looking forward to. And I mean, you settled yourself into that chair, and you've got your snacks, and you're all ready to go, and you got the game going, and you're middle of the first quarter, and in walks your better half and says, hey, I, could you help me with something? How does that strike you? Men? You don't know how it strikes me? You say, well, you're a preacher. You respond like Gary Smalley. No, the reality is, the reality is, I, I look at that and I go, wait a minute. I had all of my hopes and I had all of my dreams and I had all of my expectations set on the football game. And you want me to go do what? That wasn't in my plan. That was an interruption. That was not what I was looking forward to. 
you know we all face interruptions in life? We, 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 we face times where there is a change. And, and usually there are two circumstances when we value interruption. Either, number one, we value an interruption because we weren't enjoying our circumstances to begin with. Okay, you're in a conversation. You're like, I don't want this conversation. I need an interruption here. And so you're talking on the cell phone and going, oh, I'm breaking up. And then you hit the button, you know. You're like, oh, I never did that. Yeah, you have. You weren't enjoying your circumstances. And so you're looking to have new circumstances. Anyhow, then you, you value interruption at that point. Or secondly, you value interruption if you can see the value and the importance of a new circumstance. If you're like, okay, well, I've been going this direction and playing this way and everything's going this way and this is the way my heart's set and this is the way everything's been and all of this, but then somebody says, no, I want you over here and they can explain to you the value of this place. You have the ability to, to let go of that circumstance and embrace a new circumstance and enjoy it because you see the value of it. You're able to buy into the value of it. But if you ever have interruptions in life, by the way, I'm probably talking to people who have had interruptions in life. You've had changes in life. There was, there was, there was maybe an interruption that came along. And, and things can change, and they can change drastically. And normally speaking, these are very hard for us. God often interrupts the lives of His children. The Bible is filled with stories of God interrupting and changing the lives of His servants. Noah was interrupted in his life. And God said, I want you to become a shipbuilder. And he said, what's a ship? And he said, it's what floats on the ocean. And he says, great, what's an ocean? For the next 120 years, he changed his whole vocation. God changed his entire world. God changed Moses Moses' life was radically transformed. And God said, I want you to lead these people to a different place. And God said, no, you've you got to be thinking of... Or Moses said, God, you've got to be thinking of somebody else. And God said, no, I want you to do it. And God interrupted. He changed Moses' life. David was an excellent shepherd, talented and gifted, sitting out on the hillsides there in, 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 in the Middle East and doing a great job of taking care of his flock. And God came along and said, no, I want you to do something a little different. What's that? I want you to be king. Oh, and by the way, I, the way I want you to become king is I'd like for you to be chased for a while. How does that sound? Let's have a little game. Hide and seek for a while. How does that sound? God came to Job, and Job was a successful businessman and family man. God said, I'm going to change your life. And he changed it in a radical way. Abraham left his homeland and went to a land, and he didn't even know where it was, but he went. Gideon was hiding down in a wine press, sifting a little bit of grain so that he could have some food, hiding from the enemy. And God came and said, Oh, mighty man of valor. And Gideon looked around like, Who are you talking to? And God said, I want to use you to overthrow the Midianites. And God interrupted Gideon's life. God interrupted Paul's life as he made his way to Damascus. God interrupted the life of his disciples. It is a part of God's character. It is a part of God's plan. It is a consistent part of the way that he works to change up 
the lives of his servants. And these moments of change are critical to our lives. The direction of the rest of our lives is determined by how we respond to these moments of change that God brings into our life. I mean, just think of two contrasts. Think of Joseph and and the way that God brought interruption into his life, obeying dad, doing what was right, and sold into slavery. God interrupted Joseph's life. Look at how Joseph responded. And contrast that to Lot's wife. And God said, I'm going to interrupt your life. I'm going to remove you from a place of paganism. I'm going to change your life. I, I want you to be different. And she couldn't respond to it correctly. She couldn't trust God. And, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. That was God's interruption in Lot's life. And how to change what the rest of life be like. Would you take your Bibles and turn to a passage that I think details change. Go, if you would, to the book of Acts in chapter 10. Acts in chapter 10. I believe this morning I'm probably talking to individuals who are or have experienced change. And you may be still in the quietness of your mind trying to wrestle through and sort out and make sense of something that happened last week last month or ten years ago, but you're still trying to figure out how and why that change happened. This morning I want to help give you some clarity. I may be talking to some individuals and you don't know it, but change is coming this week. Change is coming within the next year. And you need to have prepared a perspective that gives you an eternal view on that interruption in your life. In order to do this, I think we need God's help. Father, this morning I ask that you would please from your word and by the instruction and power of your Holy Spirit, give to me for your glory, I pray, clarity as I speak your word and help us, Lord, to learn the principles from this passage that will aid us in not only understanding, but, Lord, excelling for your glory in responding to change. We pray that we might be faithful servants of you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 10 is the story of a day interrupted. I'm going to go through this passage just in a little bit of a different order. I want you to notice here that there is a, an amazing uh, uh, story here. Beginning, I want to begin in verse 9. And on the morrow as they went on their journey. Acts chapter 10 and verse 9. And you say, who's this? Well, I'll come back to you in a moment. And drew nigh into the city. Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So Peter is going to have his quiet time with God. He did his quiet time in the middle of the day. And when Peter was involved in this moment of quietness with the Lord, God brought incredible change into Peter's life. We find here in verse 10, And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. So, they didn't get lunch ready in time. Peter is having his quiet time as he waits for them. And while he's doing that, he falls asleep. And while he was asleep, God gave to him a message through a dream. Can I press pause on the message right now for a moment? 
I just want to talk about something. As you interpret God's Word, you've got to be very careful to do it well. The Bible talks about rightly dividing the Word of truth. This is an unusual passage. In Acts chapter 10, great change is taking place, not just in Peter's life, but in Israel's life and in Gentile lives and in the life of the whole church. And this is a transitional passage, so we have to be careful. Not everything that happens in chapter 10 is normal and is for us today. Okay? Can you understand that? So we've got to be very careful. We have to understand the context of what God is doing in His kingdom work here. But God gave to Peter a message, and what he used at that point was a dream. Verse 11, And Peter saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill And this is scandalous. And eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice spake unto him again the second time. Verse 15. What God has cleansed, that call not thou common. And this was done thrice. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself, What this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. What do you find here? You find that God is bringing incredible change into Peter's life, and God didn't waste any time. Often change happens very fast. Often change happens in a moment. There's been times in my life where changes happen with one phone call and everything in life is different than what it used to be. And Peter had change happen and it happened very fast. One moment he was having quiet time and he fell asleep. And at that very moment, God changed the very core of what he had always understood to be right and wrong and honoring God. He values to his culture. And the next moment he wakes up and he's trying to sort all of this change out and God thrusts him into action. This had to be very disorienting for Peter. I can't imagine what happened. Let's continue the story. Verse 18. They called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And without taking a lot of time here, Peter gets up, and he goes down from the top of the house. He goes down, and he greets them, and he goes with them. Peter has been in Joppa. If you can envision your Israel geography, envision the Mediterranean coast, and Joppa would be on par with, about on par with Jerusalem, right on the Mediterranean coast, and Caesarea would be 15 miles to the north of Joppa. And Peter's in Joppa, and he's, he's, he, he now goes with these men, and he walks with them 15 miles. I mean, how, how would you like somebody just to come up to you and, and say, hey, you know, you're sound asleep, and they wake you up. Hey, would you walk with me to Corridan? You're like, wait, time out, hold on, back the whole truck up. What are you talking about? What do you, what is going on? Why do you want, no, 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 just walk with me to Corridan. That'd be disorienting, wouldn't it? 
This is what has happened. God has given to Peter a responsibility to follow him and let him bring change. And how does Peter respond? He goes with them. I think we find in this passage at least three, and there's probably more, three key principles that can guide us when we face change. And the number one principle that I want us to notice is this. Listen, follow God with confidence even when your understanding is limited. Follow God with confidence even when your understanding is limited. Do you see what the Spirit of God told him in verse 20? He said, Arise, therefore, and get thee down and go with them. That is a command. Go. And then notice he qualifies it. Do you see what he says there? Doubting nothing. Remember, your well-being is not based on your understanding. Your well-being is based upon the trustworthiness of your Lord. I want to say that again. This is key. Remember, your well-being is not based on your understanding. Your well-being is based on your, the trustworthiness of your Lord. See, there's a difference between security and assurance. Security is a fact. Assurance is an experience. We talked about that this morning. There are individuals who are further along in their understanding of who God is. How do we know who God is? We know who God is through His Word. They have greater understanding of God's character, and so they maybe have more recognition of what is going on. You have individuals who've only trusted Christ as Savior, and they, they are still trying to sort everything out. But I want you to understand, each of them, the, the, the Christian that has a vast knowledge of God's Word, and the Christian who has very little knowledge of God's Word, they both have equal security, but they're probably going to experience different assurance. Illustrate it this way. Let's say that, let's say that there's, a, there's an airliner. This airliner has a seat. There's three seats. There's three passengers sitting there. On the aisle is a seasoned traveler, a businessman. This guy has more frequent flyers than he can possibly spend. He's sitting on the aisle, and he's there, and he's all comfortable, and he's got the Wall Street Journal out, and he's reading the newspaper. Next to him is a young lady who's going to be a freshman in college. She's on her way to school. It's her first time to travel by airplane alone. She's kind of looking around and taking everything in. She's starting out on a grand adventure in her life, a new chapter in her experience, and she's taking in every moment. Next to her is an elderly lady who has never flown in her life and really prefers not to travel. She is chewing on her fingernails and staring out the window and wringing her hands in worry and terror. She's looking at everything that happens, feels every bump, and she is absolutely convinced that the wing is going to fall off the airplane. Reminds me of one time my dad, those of you that know my dad, you'll love this story. My dad was flying on an old prop airplane from Italy to Egypt. And he was sitting there, and next to him was an Egyptian, and uh, there was a little rivet. It was an unimportant rivet that was jiggling loose on the wing. 
and uh, he was very animated, and he was trying his best to use English to communicate to my dad that he was deeply concerned about this loose rivet. So my dad leaned over and saw it, and he gave clucking sounds of, uh, yeah, he said, that holds the wing on. <laughs> and then he just went back to reading his book, and that poor guy was absolutely tormented for the rest of his flight there, convinced the wing was going to fall off. You got these three passengers sitting there on the airline. The businessman, he, he doesn't even pay attention. When, when the flight attendant gets up and gives the whole thing, you know, that he, does, he doesn't even look up. He's engrossed in his story. The, 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 the freshman in college is watching it and kind of more amused with how other people respond. And the elderly lady has the little laminated card out and is taking notes and following every instruction. They fire up the engines and they taxi out to the runway. The businessman never changes. He continues to read the story and turn pages. The, the young lady watches everything with excitement. And the poor uh, 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 rookie traveler there, she's just a mess. They take off. It's a horrible flight. The one on the window is using the little bag specially designed for life circumstances. The other one pays attention to the businessman, falls asleep. They land safely. Listen, they all three land safely at their de- destination. They were, by fact, all secure, but they experienced different levels of assurance. The businessman had confidence in the airline, their maintenance, the design of the aircraft, and the skill of the pilot. The freshman in college may or may not even be thinking about it, and the lady on the window, she had no confidence in anything. She experienced no assurance. Listen, what what do we see illustrated there? we see that there's a difference between assurance and security. And what God wants us to understand is this. God wants us to follow Him. God wants us to take our assurance from His Word. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. God wants us to take Him at His Word. And as we learn in our lives to consistently and carefully take God at His Word, we will experience higher levels of assurance of our already secure position. And that is true for our salvation, and it is true with our life journey here on planet Earth. And that is exactly what Peter did. Jump ahead in the passage here to verse 34. Now, I've jumped ahead in the passage quite a ways. Peter is now at uh, Caesarea. He now is in Cornelius' house. And notice what he does in verse 34. And Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Now, don't let that just slip through your ears without thinking about it. Do you realize how radical that was? Do you realize what Peter just said? This was a life-altering experience for him. He is now, as a Jew, suddenly said, for all of these years, I've assumed that the Jews were better than everyone else, and only God loved the Hebrews. Now he has come to a life-changing conclusion. He says, I now recognize, I now understand, I now perceive, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to take him at his word, that he is not a respecter of persons. Hebrews and Gentiles are equal in the sight of God. Both 
can experience His grace and can fellowship with Him and be used by Him. What did Peter do? Peter took God at His word. And you can look down through there in verse 35. But in every nation, he that feareth Him, that's any nation, that, that, that can be in a Gentile nation, and worketh righteousness, is accepted with Him. Peter has taken God at His Word. Verse 36, The Word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. What did Peter do? Peter, in confidence, followed God, even though he maybe was limited in his understanding. Now, what I think that does is it drives us to God's Word. That's what happened. And God's never going to call us to operate contrary to His Word. So you can't come and say, well, now, Brother Tory, you, know, you have to understand, I'm just following God confidently, even though it's contrary to God's Word. We, we don't do that. We have to understand, God was giving new revelation. This is a turning point passage. But I love Peter's testimony of faith. When God interrupted his life and brought change, Peter followed God confidently even with limited understanding. There's a second principle that I think we can learn, and it's this. Remember, principle number two, remember God is operating from a bigger picture. God is operating from a bigger picture. One of the things that my ministry crew, that's what I call the the young adults in my two internship programs, one of the things that my ministry crew loves to do, uh, they love to do puzzles. I don't know where the tradition started, but they do puzzles. And, uh, and they'll go buy a puzzle, and they'll set the box up there. Those of you that do puzzles can know. And you set the box with the picture on it, and then they have all the pieces. And they go through, and they find the corner pieces, and then they find the edge pieces, and then they begin to make their way through. You guys know what I'm talking about. That, they follow that bigger picture. This past summer, I found a puzzle. I threw away the box. I put all the pieces in a Ziploc bag, and I gave it to them. Now, it's a little different to put the puzzle together when you don't have that bigger picture. And you and I live much of our life without the bigger picture. C.S. Lewis said, a lot of life happens between the answers. A lot of life happens between the answers. And we're operating, we're saying, wait wait a minute, God. I don't really see why taking my spouse was a good part of the puzzle piece, a good part of the picture. I don't see why losing my job, I don't see why having to make that change, I don't see why this happening was a good thing. I don't get it. And undoubtedly, Peter didn't get it. But while Peter was going about his business, listen to this, I love this. While Peter was going about his business, God had been working for years in the life of a Gentile Roman soldier 15 miles away. While Peter was preaching, while Peter was traveling, while Peter was being thrown into prison, while Peter was going through Peter's life, 15 miles away, God was working in the heart of a Roman soldier, bringing and preparing and orchestrating for this climactic moment where suddenly the world would discover that Gentiles and Hebrews were equal in God's plan. You see, we must always remember 
that God is doing this great work. We see back here in verses 1 through 9 that Cornelius had been praying, verse 1 of chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. I don't think, my wife thought that sounded like the mob, but uh, that's not the mob. This is, this is actually a part of the Roman army. A devout man, what that means is that, uh, that he, he was very devoted in his worship to God, and one that feared God, that's Yahweh God, not just any God, not pluralism. This is, he was worshiping Jehovah, Yahweh God, with all his house, which gave much alms to the people, and prayed to God always. Now what happens is there was an answer. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying to him, Cornelius, when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers, these are prayers that have been going on and on and on, and thine alms, his acts of faith, are come up for a memorial before God. And what does God do? Verse 5, God answers. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. God was hearing Cornelius's prayer. God was pleased with his worship. God was given to him, giving to him revelation. When Peter got up to go with these two men, he maybe felt a little disoriented. But God was operating from a bigger picture. See, as we take those little tiny steps in our life, steps that are often into the unknown, we must remember that we follow the God that is operating from a completed picture. God may or may not let us see the whole picture. That, that's for him to decide. But we can know this, that we are following the one who is fully aware of the bigger picture. Several years ago, my family and I were traveling across the state of Indiana. We were driving a truck and a trailer, and we were going through... Indiana, and all of a sudden we came around a bend, and there just in front of me, about a half mile, was a low layer of ground fog. I could see this ground fog. It's, it rested right over Interstate 70. The ground fog wasn't all that long. It probably stretched for, I don't know, maybe a mile. It was probably about 300 feet thick, but I had no idea how far it went. I entered into that ground fog trying to do the best thing. You don't go to a stop. Somebody will come in behind you. You don't do that. You don't speed up because somebody else in front of you maybe slowed down. So you just kind of begin to slow down. I turned on my lights. I had my flashers going. I'm scanning the fog. I could hardly see 30 feet in front of me. I put my right wheels over on the shoulder just in case I saw something. I'd have the opportunity to dodge out of the way. I had a very hard time making my way through that. I didn't know how far that went. But you know what? It was just a localized ground fog. There came a moment, there was a few wisps by the windshield, and it broke out into a beautiful, clear day. You see, there are times where, because of our circumstance, we can't see ahead, but we must remember that God can see clearly. And he is guiding us. And often when we choose to follow the Lord and we say, Lord, I don't know five steps from now. I don't know ten steps from now. But I do know this. I know one step from now. So God, I understand that the basic way that I follow you and I'm in the middle of your will is just do the next right thing. 
And if you want me to do this, even though I can't figure out why or how, I'm going to do the next right thing. And that becomes the passion of our life. That becomes the commitment of our soul to just do the next right thing. We can be certain that we're guided by the God who is laying before us these steps. And it may be he chooses to lay out in front of us four, five, six steps. He may keep us in a realm of just one step at a time. But what we have to do is we need to follow him constantly confidently remembering that he operates from a bigger picture. And remember this. God is doing a wonderful work. God was doing an incredible work here in Acts chapter 10. I'll tell you one thing. As a Gentile, I praise God for Cornelius. I praise God for Acts chapter 10. I praise God for Peter's willingness to follow God because God is doing a wonderful work. And listen, he let Peter be a part of it. And he's letting you be a part of something big. You say, but I can't see that it's big. Well, that's fine. Everything God is doing is big. You can always be confident that being faithful in little things is always a part of something big for his glory. When change comes, God is focusing our life more on his kingdom purpose and fitting us more into his plan. This past week, we were... We, out on the desert, we have an incredible view of the sky. And this past week, we had, without any of lights of the city, we could see, uh, if you took, and one of our staff members did this, they took a camera and they zoomed in on Jupiter, and you could see four moons around Jupiter. It was a lot of fun, just standing out there looking at Jupiter. We, we don't have many hobbies at Ironwood. We, uh, we're standing there looking at Jupiter. We were able to, we were able to focus in, and when we focused in, we saw more clarity. What we feel is often a disruption or an interruption in our life. Listen to this very carefully. This is a tremendous blessing to me. It might be a help to you. What we feel is an interruption or a disruption in our life may actually be God focusing our life more clearly on His purposes. You say, well, I've had all of my life and all of my program and all of my plans and all of my stuff and I had all of this stuff planned. I mean, I was so involved. I was focused. And God says, yeah, you were focused. But were you focused on my kingdom purpose? And when God brings an interruption into our life, it may very possibly be he's bringing our life more clearly into focus. I mean, have you ever thought about it that when we experience change, we actually are more effective in our service for God? Noah, Moses, David, Job, Abraham, Gideon, Paul, the disciples, each one of them faced interruptions in their life. But God was taking them at that moment of interruption to a higher level of effectiveness and usefulness and testimony of God's greatness. And it may not seem like it to us at that moment, but we always remember that God is operating from a bigger picture. And then number three, and I'm going to wrap this up, just going to touch on it. Jump back, if you would, to chapter, or to verse 32. Verse 32. We, here's the third principle. We are Christ's body on the earth. And you're like, well, what's the significance of that? Here's the significance. If God is wanting to do a change, a work, a powerful work in somebody's life, 
He's going to do it, listen, through his children. And he needs individuals who he needs hands. And he needs feet. And he needs eyes. And he needs ears. He needs the physical presence of Christians on planet earth to be available to do his work. Yet we need to be available to him for him to do his work through us. And I love what God did in verse 32. He gave commands. He said, send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. Isn't it fantastic that God had the confidence that on earth was an individual that he knew was going to be faithful in an opportunity that just wouldn't make sense. But Peter was the presence of Christ, available to do a work that was critical and important to God's kingdom plan. Can you imagine if last night, and, and if you're not an Iowa Hawkeyes fan, then, you know, we'll have an invitation later. But, we, you know, if, can, you imagine, can you imagine that if, you know, you've got the, you've got the Iowa Hawkeyes and you've got the middle of the game going on, and let's say it had been a close game, <laughs> and, uh, and, and let's say that down on the bench is this football player, and he's got his, you know, he's got his video game. He's doing his video game. And I'm not, I'm not preaching against video games. I'm just saying he's doing his video game. And, and the coach looks at him and he says, you, I need you in the game. And he says, hold on a minute, coach. I've got to finish this level. What would the coach do? The coach would be like, you go right ahead. You finish that level. Go to town, man. You're going to have a lot of time to finish that level. Because I'm going to look for somebody that's available. I'm going to look for somebody who says, I'm ready, coach. Put me in the game. We are God's body on the earth. And we need to be available and usable to the Lord. And when change happens, this is a beautiful thought. When change happens, often it is actually a sign of God's hand on our life. It's not God being mean. It's God saying, I can use you. That was the sign for Cornelius. Verse 2, he was called the devout man. You can jump ahead and I haven't had time to talk about. Verse 7, he also had a, a soldier who was also a devout soldier. And then there was a devout Christian in verse 9. And that was Peter. And the three key people that God used in chapter 10, each one of them were devout. Each one of them were faithful. Each one of them was available. Each one of them was usable. And we are to just continue to faithfully be doing right in the small areas of our life. And God will allow that effort to be a part of his bigger plan. You say, what does this all mean? Okay, here's the conclusion. Here's what it boils down to. It boils down to this. It really all comes down to two important areas of faith in our lives. Two important areas of faith that will trust in God's sovereignty and that will yield to God's kingdom purpose. That will trust in God's sovereignty and that we will yield to God's kingdom purpose. Listen, when God brings an interruption, change into our lives, how we respond to it is critical. Remember Joseph and Lot's wife. And if we respond correctly to change, 
we will be able to be used by God. But it all depends upon this. It depends upon our confidence, our trust, our faith in God's sovereignty. And it depends upon our yieldedness to God's kingdom purpose. And if at that moment of change, I can't trust God's sovereignty. And if at that moment of change, I can't yield to God's kingdom purpose, then that change is not going to be something that will result for God's glory. But if at that moment of change, I say, okay, God, I'm disoriented. I don't see everything that's going on, but I'm trusting in your sovereignty and I'm yielded to your kingdom purpose. God can use you in the moment of change to be a key individual in his eternal plan. And what does that mean? We don't know when change is coming. We don't know when change is coming. So it's very important that every single day we be living with the confidence in God's sovereignty and a yieldedness to God's kingdom purpose. And if every day we are confident in God's sovereignty and we're yielded to God's kingdom purpose, when change comes, we've set ourselves up to be able to be used by God at a higher level because we've discovered the value of interruption. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. With every head bowed and every eye closed, in a moment, I'm going to turn the service over to Pastor St. Lawrence. You maybe have experienced an interruption. You maybe are in the middle of an interruption. Or there will be one in the future. It's important that we discover the value of the interruption. I would encourage you this morning to stop and ask yourself, humbly and honestly before the Lord, God, am I truly resting gladly in your sovereignty? And am I truly yielded to your kingdom?